Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group. With our roundtable called, we are globally connected with Kaiser Health News. Saturday, February 25th, 2023, February's Black History and American Heart Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Clayman, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our panelists with us, Cara Anthony. She's a Kaiser Health News Midwest correspondent and a multimedia reporter prior to KHN. In 2018, she was nominated for an Emmy for her six-part Belleville News Democrat series titled Then I Knew. That work was about racism in America. And her most recent work, an article for Kaiser Health News, is t- it's titled When Gun Violence End Young Lives, These Men Prepare the Graves. Thanks for being with us, Cara. Hi. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time. So are you a parent? I'm going to ask that first. Oh, definitely. I have a beautiful six-year-old daughter. Her name is Lily Rose, and she is the love of my life, so for sure. So they say there's a saying, I'm not sure if it's true or not. I don't know if I write it someplace, in a book or something, but they say a mother or father's first true love is their newborn baby. That's the first true love. Yes, <laughs> that, is so, that is so true. I fell in love with Lily just right away, and, you know, Obviously, through my reporting journey, have met so many um, parents, um, but it's a tough time that we're living in. It's a really tough time to, um, you know, raise a child in America because we worry about them. You know, so much goes on. So tell me about Babyland. Yeah, so Babyland is a one part of a cemetery um, not too far from where I grew up. It's in a little town called Millstadt, Illinois, about 30 miles outside of St. Louis, Missouri, where a number of young children and infants are buried. Many of those children are um, stillborn, um, children, infants who died of SIDS, uh, other tragedies like fire and car accidents. But um, during my reporting journey, I followed a a young three-year-old girl who ended up there because she was a victim of gun violence. Mm. And so I got to know the uh, when I went to her funeral uh, that day, I asked the caretakers, as they like to be called, their grave diggers, um, you know, hey, can I write a story about you? And they said, you know, what what would you want to do that for? Um, but a year later, we just did just that, and here here I am today talking to you about it. So, of all the dangers for children, and according to your your article, what is the number one cause of death for children in this country? It's gun violence, and that's surprising for a lot of folks because, again, you know, people might think of car accidents or other. Uh, diseases, things like um, cancer that children uh, deal with, um, you know, all the time. But gun violence in this country takes the lives of more children than anything else. Wow. And then as a parent, how does that make you feel? And when you look at your children going out the door every day and then going out about everyday business, how how does it hit you personally as a journalist, but also as a parent? You know, as a parent... I, I try not to um, 
worry too much um, about my daughter, but how could, you know, you not in, in these times that we're living in, especially with the number of school shootings and mass shootings that we've seen in our country over the last decade? I mean, I just, you know, always, I'm a woman of faith, so I, I say my prayers for sure, but I also know that there are parents that do that, but also take measures to train their children to know what to do if, you know, they start to hear gunfire in their school or if they start to hear gunfire even in their home. Another story that I wrote a couple of years ago talked about where children hide, children getting under beds, going in the basement, going in between couches just to find safety. So unfortunately in this country, you know, it's one of those things where we really have to think about it maybe more than previous generations but um yeah it's definitely one thing that's on my mind especially as i cover these things um as a parent and as a journalist so back to the article according to the the stats uh, is death from gun violence going up or down so what did the 2021 number show or tell us about death and gun violence yeah unfortunately though the numbers um are going up. Now, many of those um, were gun uh, violent, but um, another good portion would, would be gun by uh, suicide. Uh, suicide people have chosen to take their lives, unfortunately, um, by using a gun. And so there, it's a split there, but in both cases, always devastating for the families and the loved ones who are left behind to try to pick up the pieces and survive, you know, themselves. Hmm. So how does that, so when you look at the, the, what's being done in the, in the world and your, in your research and, and what you've written about in the past, not just with this article, what do, are we, what, what need, what do we need to do in order to curb this problem? Oh, that's a really big question. You know, there are plenty of policies and lawmakers who are working to um, make our schools safer, to make our neighborhoods safer. Um, you know, people are also on the ground trying to have conversations with, you know, young people, starting conversations early about gun safety, things like that. There are a number of um, gun prevention programs. I know Chicago has, you know, gosh, a long list. The same goes for downstate where I am in southern Illinois and then across the river in St. Louis. Um, you know, I think those conversations really, you know, start at home and we go from from there for now. Mm-hmm. And in your article, you write about two men, Johnny Hare and William Bell Jr. Uh, tell us about those two guys and what they do. Wow. Yeah, Johnny Hare, he was one of the first people that I had a real conversation with um, just the day that I went out to the young girl's funeral who died of gun violence. And, you know, I remember earlier in our conversation today, he said, you know, I said, I would like to write a story about you. And he said, what would you want to do that for? And I said, well, your work is really important. So we took some time. It wasn't anything that was a rush, rush job. He's been doing this for years. And I really took a lot of time to observe him but he is just so caring he really cares about each family that chooses you know baby land or sunset gardens is the main um the, the name of the main cemetery you know he cares for each one and i think care is the key word because i 
you know, during the reporting process, I asked him, I said, you know, Mr. Johnny, that's what I started to call him. I said, what should I, you know, call you? Grave digger, is that correct? And he's like, you know, it's not wrong, but I really see myself as a caretaker. Mm. And that really stuck with me, you know. He's not just, you know, digging graves, digging holes. He's really caring for, you know, each family and, unfortunately, the child that is there, you know, in front of him, you know, whether it be a, a lot or just a few, he just does, a, he does it with so much care. So that was one of my biggest takeaways about how tender uh, their hearts are, even after 43 years, both William Belt Sr. and Mr. Johnny Harris, they've been doing this for 43 years, which is just incredible. Digging ditches is not easy either. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredibly hard work. I mean, it's physically, you know, taxing. You could imagine, you know, they, they have their, you know, back holes, the equipment, but unfortunately, too, one thing that we learned was that the graves in Babyland, because they're small, they often have to dig by hand, and so there's just some physical labor there that they put themselves through, but it's so worth it for them because they're so serious about their job, and they and they want people to come out and, you know, feel as though that their loved ones have been taken care of. Hmm. And then William Bell Jr., he had a brush with bullets, too, himself. Tell us about that in the article. Yeah, on New Year's Eve, he was at a gas station in East St. Louis, and unfortunately, shots were fired, and he thought, you know, maybe it was just like, you know, New Year's Eve, you often hear gunfire. That's a, a tradition that a lot of people have, but he was he struck himself and hit by a bullet. He survived that, but in the interview process, one thing that he said, he said, you know, I could have been the one that my coworkers had to bury, mm. and I would have been overtime for them because they've been so busy. COVID, you know, obviously changed things for them. The numbers went up. They noticed that. That was another big takeaway during my reporting process is that, they recognize trends and they see that something might not be right based on the number of bodies that were coming into or that come into the cemetery. So when gum numbers are up and they start seeing a number of young people coming in, you know, they get a sense like something's not right here. Same thing for, you know, example would be, would be COVID, you know, they get a sense like, Oh, this we're, they collect data in their own way. I think it's the line that I put in the story. So it was just really um, heartbreaking to hear him say, you know, we we are so busy. There's so much going on. And I would have been overtime for my coworkers had that shot been fatal. And um, but he survived and he's, you know, moving forward. So and his family had just suffered some losses earlier that month or earlier that year. If I remember correct from the article. Yeah. Another another big takeaway, so many big life lessons here, you know, of, of what it feels like. We've all gone through the grieving process, whether it be for a close loved one or a friend, but the idea of actually having to bury that person physically, you know, prepare their graves, physically lay them to rest is just something that I couldn't even imagine. But they did it last year a number of times um, and, you know, they persevered, they 
you know, it seems like these men, they just push through all of what could be easily called, you know, emotional trauma, but they just do their job with so much dignity and respect for everyone, especially, you know, their own loved ones. And so it's a really, it's tragically uh, beautiful. Mm. I like the, I loved your words in the article. I thought your journalism was very, very on point. But on top of that, your writing was so beautiful when you wrote the story. I love it when I, when I can read something and there is there is a nice marriage between the facts and the journalistic part of everything. But then on top of that, it's done in, in, a, in an artistic way that's not over the top or too uh, flowery or too emotional or where it gets a little bit hokey. You did a perfect job, I think, in that article. When you after coming through that experience of of seeing something like this, which is really something that's left for a lot of people, is going to be left field because no one thinks about child cemeteries. Nobody thinks about um, you know children dying. You know, even if you're going through a serious situation, you don't want to see. You never think about or want to meditate on the idea of children suffering or babies suffering. How does that How does that affected you and change your perspective on the world and change your perspective on fact finding and even in your work? I mean, definitely makes me, you know, just on a personal level, cherish each day, cherish the people that are around me and those who also took the time to read, you know, um, because it's easy to look the other way and say, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to see that. That's too hard. It's too much. But um, I think there are so many life lessons that I learned, and especially I think the biggest one, and it maybe isn't in the article, but it's an interesting fact that I like to share with people anytime we have a discussion about it, is that the caretakers at the cemetery, while in the same way it takes nine months essentially for a baby to be born, they tend to the baby land graves and graves in general for at least nine to 12 months before it's marked as done. And that really taught me that grief is a process. It's not just an overnight thing. It's, what is, you know, for we, a second, let's back for a second. what do you mean by when it's done? So they t- they tend to the, to the, to the lot, to the plot for nine months. Afterwards. Right. Right. They, for nine months, they take care of it. So they'll, you know, obviously they have to plant the grass. They, you know, the first step is digging. But then after that, you know, they have to plant the grass, you know, take care of it, make sure that it's settling properly and, you know, will be smooth and appear as the rest of the graves are um, in the cemetery. And then after that, you know, it takes time um, to also they don't just put a headstone out there right away. The ground has to be settled. So that is put into place. And, you know, again, all of this this process, you know, for that grass to grow and to be mowed and it to look, you know, like everything else in the cemetery, it takes about nine to 12 months. And so that that care and that attention to detail, um, not just for the, you know, graves and baby land, but for throughout the cemetery, it just really taught me, you know, grief is a process. It's not just the overnight thing um, that it's okay to take your time and um, sometimes in that process, you laugh a little bit. There are definitely moments in the interview where Johnny and I, especially, we laughed, you know, and I kind of felt bad. I'm like, man, we're at a cemetery, you know, we're having this moment of laughter. But it also taught me that there are many emotions that you can feel, you know, in doing that work and also in the process of, um, you know, losing a loved one. You might remember a happy moment and laugh. And then other moments, something might be really hard. And, you know, you cry. So uh, lots of lessons learned here. 
Mm. What would you think is the most powerful thing you learned from the two gentlemen? I just think that the this there's something very powerful about being uh, consistent, being steady, and taking pride in what you do. That if you do your job, you know eventually you know people can take note will take notice and they'll see that you know they didn't come to me and say hey Kara will you um, write an article because we have 43 years of service and we think that's you know a really great thing no I I just observe them and, and you know taking this time and care and so I think that's one of my biggest takeaways it's just like do do your work. Do your job. Take take pride in it, and people people will notice. And that there's no job that is bigger than someone else's in this world. Everything that we do, it really matters. Um, so I think that. <laughs> okay, sorry, my six year old just popped in on me, but yeah, I think that that's the, the, the main thing. Yeah, yeah, she's so, yeah, she is, but I just think that's really important. It's like their job matters. What they do, it should not be overlooked, and so that's one of the biggest lessons that I definitely learned. So with that, you also have a lot of things to be, to be recognized for in your career. You've had a great career as a journalist. You're very talented. Nominated for an Emmy in 2018. When you were nominated, how did that make you feel, then, and what was your initial response? Oh my gosh, that 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 really it was a a big moment because I came into journalism, you know, thinking strictly you know, that I would write stories, and people always kind of talked about, oh, maybe you would go into TV or you would do things with film, but I never really saw that um, for myself. But when the opportunity presented itself to do a film and then a film that was largely based in my hometown, I mean, it was just a really amazing experience and it really made me, uh, appreciate, um, my community and the people who, you know, held me up in, in good times and, and bad. And I was just, again, I was a single mom coming in and really trying to hold on to my career and the community really just embraced me and and they still are you know baby land is only you know a few miles away from where i grew up and so i'm covering stories about my hometown that really matter that moment really was just such so special because i shared it not only with my my family but with the entire community hmm. so and what's going on next so what do you what's your next article gonna be about <laughs> That's a good question. I've been working on, um, so Babyland was a part of a series that was um, largely based on this idea of communal mourning, meaning, you know, we don't just grieve alone in a bubble that oftentimes, especially when we lose a child, a community grieves, and we all feel that that pain and that there are people that show up, you know, back in the day for me, when I was um, a little uh, youngster, it was the church, the mothers of the church would show up and, and show out and, you know, cover families, but the faces, uh, you know, are changing. A lot of those women, unfortunately, they've passed and gone on. And so um, I think, so the next story, I could possibly write something else along those lines of what communal grief looks like and 
how um, beautiful it is, even though it, it you know it can be a, a, around tragedy. There are people who hold us up every time something happens, and that we are strong as a people, and that should be recognized. So there should maybe another story about that um, in the works. So tell us once again, where can people find the article? The article is titled, When Gun Violence Ends, Young Lives, These Men Prepare the Graves. It's on Kaiser Health News. I know the website, but where else can it be seen? KHN.org, right, is our, our website. But this story, if they would like to listen to it, um, NPR published this story. And so it's available on NPR's website. Um, also was published recently by the Chicago Sun-Times um, for you know, listeners in your area who subscribe to that publication. And so the story was, it just went everywhere. I mean, I think more so than anything, people felt that thread of humanity. You know, we all live, and unfortunately, at some point, you know, we all have a, a birth date and we all have a death date. And I think that is a universal element that we all can relate to. And so published widely everywhere, but NPR, The Sun-Times, and of course, uh, org. Cara Anthony, Kaiser Health News Midwest correspondent, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. America's Heroes Group, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.